Ladies and gentlemen, start your stopwatches because you're listening to the dispatches on the clock, and that means we're going to spend the next 15 minutes or less on this Good Friday speaking about Barabbas and what Barabbas and Christ and that democratic crowd vote might have to teach us today about the state of affairs and how we might conduct ourselves in the world. Okay, so today is Good Friday, and one of the things that happens on Good Friday, of course, is we recall, we reflect on, we think about the passion, the suffering, the death of Jesus Christ. And if you go to a Good Friday liturgy today, then you are likely to hear scripture readings. Uh, If you're Catholic, you're going to hear a gospel reading of the Passion account from the Gospel of John, which details the events that lead up to and then culminate in the killing of Christ on the cross and then him being put into a tomb. And one of the things that you are going to hear about, or maybe you reflect on or you'll contemplate today, something that actually takes place on this day that we are memorializing here, is the moment when the crowd is offered a choice by Pilate. And he's a bit nervous about Christ, He's a bit worried about what all of this means and what it could mean for him. He's concerned about the ramifications. His wife has had a dream. She's warned him, stay away from this dude. And before we get that famous, now actually infamous, hand-washing incident, which has become the very epitome, the very metaphor or symbol for moral cowardice, before we get to that, he tries to exploit a local tradition whereby they bring out another prisoner and they allow the crowd to vote as to which prisoner they want released. And so a guy called Barabbas is brought out and put alongside Christ, and Pilate asks the crowd, well, who do you want to release? And I have a suspicion that Pilate probably thought the crowd was going to go with Jesus, because it's clear from the gospel accounts that Pilate is nervous about all of this and has a sense that he's got an innocent man in front of him despite his concerns about the political machinations and rocking the political boat and what that could mean for him and I guess his career success or chances or futures uh, in regards to the Roman Empire. But he does this thing anyway, brings out uh, Jesus and Barabbas, puts them alongside each other and says, who do you choose? And the crowd, as we know, screams, Barabbas, Barabbas. They choose Barabbas to go free. And Christ is then brutally killed after that. Now, I don't know about you, but when I was younger, or throughout most of my life really, when I heard about or reflected on this incident, I always thought about it in a very sort of simplistic and straightforward kind of way. And this is obviously part of it as well, but I didn't really realize the depth of what's actually going on here. I tended to think what you've got is a guilty man, an actual criminal, Barabbas, who was brought out and he is pitted against the most innocent of innocent men that history that the world has ever known, Christ himself, pure innocence itself. And the crowd, in the first democratically recorded vote in ancient history, proves 
one of the great weaknesses of democracy, and the crowd votes for the wrong man. They choose the guilty and they reject the innocent. And there's so much of the story of Christ embroiled in all of that. And that's sort of how I thought of it in this very sort of simplistic way, but there's actually a lot more going on here when you understand the depth of this incident. So first of all, and this is important to understand, the name Barabbas actually means son of the father. Now this is very important. One of the the final Jewish political revolutionaries, I think it was, in fact, it was the final revolt, wasn't it, against the Roman Empire that actually failed. And I think some commentators at the time even talked about this idea of genocide because of the reaction of the Romans to this. I think what happened around 132, somewhere around there, I think uh, you have this final Jewish messianic war, this revolt, and it's led by a man called Simon Bar Kochba which means, Bar Kokhba means son of the star. So this is a political revolutionary type name Barabbas has got. It means son of the father. Some of the early manuscripts of the gospel, uh, Oregon, the church father tells us, for the first few hundred years anyway, those manuscripts actually refer to Barabbas as Jesus Barabbas, clearly indicating the political messianic nature of who Barabbas was. And if you look at the gospel accounts, the evidence is pretty clear, actually. In John 18, we are told that Barabbas was a robber. Now, that's when I heard that as a young guy, I thought, oh, yeah, he steals stuff, right? So he's guilty of robbery. That's why he's in jail. In actual fact, though, what I didn't understand was that the Greek word used for robber there was actually used as a synonym for resistance fighter during the time of Christ. Secondly, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 15, tells us that Barabbas had actually taken part in an uprising. There's a big clue that this guy is actually a political revolutionary. And then Luke's Gospel adds another important detail. Luke, chapter 23, the Gospel of Luke, tells us that Barabbas was a notorious prisoner. So this man has some repute. He is known So not only does all of this provide strong evidence that Barabbas was actually a political prisoner, but it also seems likely that he was actually the leader of a political uprising or was involved in some way in the leadership of a political uprising. What this means is you really have more than just a thief versus an innocent man being put before the crowd now. You have a crowd being asked Who will you choose as your Messiah? Which will you choose to save you? And remember Barabbas? His name means son of the father. Who is the actual son of the father? Jesus is. He tells us this himself. If you've seen me, you've seen the father. I must be about my father's business. Jesus is explicit that he is the son of the father, God the father. And so here's Barabbas who's claiming this title for himself that he's not actually entitled to have. Barabbas is actually a type of antichrist. So that's what's really going on here. You have Christ versus an antichrist figure, and the crowd is being asked to choose between the two. And the antichrist figure is offering the crowd the option of political utopia and political salvation. And that's the way they go. That's who they choose. Now, I would suggest to you that that same choice is being put before us today in a very 
very powerful way in our world today. I mean, not just today, this particular Good Friday. We are being asked on a regular basis, which way will you go? Will you go with the true Son of the Father, the Messiah, who calls you to take up your cross and to follow him daily, to love your neighbor, to give of yourself in total self-giving love, to follow his commandments and be his disciple? Or will you go with the political messiahs, the Barabbases of this world, who promise you maybe political utopias or who promise you technological utopias? There's lots of those now on offer to us. Okay, you don't like politics? Great. We'll offer you technology and technocracy as a way to order and to save the world, to extend your life, to make it more comfortable. Which utopia will you choose? Political, technological, or will you choose the Messiah, Christ? Because Good Friday is actually, one among other things, it is a very powerful moment where you see the ultimate rejection of political and earthly utopias. It is the polar opposite. It's quite amazing, really, when you think about this. Very profound. The very power of God, the absolute, the most absolute power that you can see or have or wield in the world, the power of God is surrendered and put at the service of self-giving love to save the world. The most profound act of undeserved mercy that is shown by the most powerful of all, God. And that's quite profound when you think about what that actually represents. Because there's really not much choice. If you don't have power, you're not surrendering if someone captures you and you're powerless and then you are forced to do a whole lot of things because you're powerless. But God is not powerless. Christ is not powerless. But he chooses to surrender that power and place it at the service of self-giving love. I saw a beautiful reflection the other day that said, Christ is like this silent lamb. And whenever he is silent, he's like this lamb. And whenever he speaks during the Passion, he speaks like a shepherd who's there to actually guard and care for his flock. It's not about him. It's this profound humility. And see, that's our calling, I would argue today, to imitate Good Friday by using our power, whatever it is we might have, whatever we might possess, to serve, to sacrifice, to love. Total self-giving, self-sacrificial love. That's our calling. As opposed to the Barabbas, antichrist, political utopian Power is a tool that you will use for your own ends. You will use power to build the world or to craft yourself in your own image. We will build this political utopia for ourselves. No, that's not our calling if we truly claim to be disciples of Christ. And it's not a calling that we want to imitate in our world if we want to live in a truly humane and just society. Regardless of who you are, all people of goodwill, I think, would recognize that truth. Here's the thing, Barabbas is lost to history. I mean, we know his name only in relation to Christ. Think about that. The only reason you know of an antichrist is because their first is the actual Christ. They are a shadow, an impersonator. And without the original, without the truth, the goodness and the beauty of the one and only Jesus, 
you don't have Barabbas. You don't have the imitator. You don't have the Antichrist. They are the absence of all that is good, true, and beautiful. And without the fullness of good, truth, and beauty, there's Christ. They are completely absent. They don't exist. So we hear about Barabbas only in relation to Christ. And once his moment in the sun is over, that's it. That's the end of his role in the story. But as we know with Christ, it doesn't end at the tomb. It ends on Easter Sunday with the resurrection. And it ends with him completely rewriting history and time itself. That is the profound power of love. And no, I'm not quoting Jennifer Rush or Huey Lewis in the news there. I mean the authentic power, saving and fruitfulness of self-giving love. The thing that rises above politics to truly save us and save the world around us. That is, I believe, one of the beautiful and most important challenges that sits before us, not just on this Good Friday, but our modern society in general, all of us. How are we going to respond? What are we going to do? Thank you for tuning in. I pray that you have a really blessed, holy, and happy Easter and a celebration of these profoundly important life-giving and life-saving mysteries. Don't forget, live by goodness, truth, and beauty, not by lies. And I will see you next time on The Dispatches.